Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. John, pick up where we left off a couple of Sunday nights ago. John chapter 13. Now, we're studying the subject of prayer, but we've kind of got over into some areas of faith and prayer together. So the subject that we were on a couple of weeks ago was the subject of walking in love. If you're not walking in love, there ain't no use in trying to walk in faith. It's not going to work. Amen. So you're going to have to learn some things about the love of God and walking in love so that your prayer life will be effectual. And I want you to know the devil is always challenging your love walk. The three areas in which people get offended in churches like this one, number one, the area of the demand that the Word of God puts on you, that's talked about in Mark chapter 4, how when the seed gets sown, there are those that have no root in themselves. The Bible says when persecution or affliction arises for the Word's sake, they are offended. Then there are those that get offended at the way God chooses to do things. Remember, God is God. He does things the way He chooses to. I wish that sometimes he'd listen to me, but he never does. I have to listen to him. Amen? So don't ever get offended. That's Matthew chapter 11 where John the Baptist ended up in prison. And Jesus said, blessed are those who do not become offended at the way I choose to do things. So always let God be God. Then the third area in which people get offended is at one another. In the confines of the body of Christ, whether we're a church of 10 people or whether there is a church of 10,000 people, there is always going to be afforded opportunities to get offended at one another. Those opportunities, if taken, the Bible says take no offense. That means they come but don't take it. If you take those opportunities not to walk in love but to be offended, it will literally stifle your faith and pull you off into unbelief. And you know, here's the thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Every one of us can play the victim game. Amen. It's 2013, we've had enough trauma on the earth for 6,000 years where every one of us can hook up with some kind of problem in our life, our upbringing, uh, you know, we were a middle child, we were raised on the wrong side of the tracks, this happened, that happened, no, none of us were ever raised perfect. All of us can point back to an event in our life that disappointed us, that hurt us, that harmed us, and if we wanted to, all of us could play the victim. But God did not call us to be victims. He called us to be victors in Christ Jesus. And you've got to make a decision to disconnect from victim mentality and hook up to victory mentality if you're going to walk in love in the body of Christ. Also remember this. Anytime you're afforded an opportunity to walk in love, God is desiring to fuel your faith. The Bible says faith worketh by love, so we must understand faith is like a vehicle that's fueled by love. If you can get some love into your faith, your faith is going to operate. But without love, your faith will not operate. To kind of think of it, you know, you could have a, a, the most expensive car created, a Rolls Royce or a Bentley costing a million dollars, but if you didn't have any gas to put in it, what good would it do? And, but if you had gas to put into your 1965 Volkswagen Bug and it ran, it would do you better to have that than it would to have an expensive car with no gas in it. Well, faith is the same way. Great faith without love will not work. A little bit of faith with love will work powerfully. So, in the Scriptures, let's look here tonight real quick. I've got a few minutes we can do this. Verse, where am I at? John chapter 13, verse 34. 
Jesus speaking to us here. Red letters. Everybody say red letters. It says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now, how many were here a couple of weeks ago when I made a, a statement about prosperity and about riches? We made everybody in the church rich with one statement. You said, well, how'd you do that? Here's how you do it. Understanding that there are two systems in the world. In the world system, being rich is what you have. In the kingdom of God or in God's system, being rich is who you are. Are you with me? Now, two systems, two types of love. In the world system, love is what you feel. In God's system, love is what you do. Let me try that again. In the world system, love is what you feel. In God's system, love is what you do. So if you try to take what is in the world system and operate in God's system, you will end up very disappointed. Amen? Well, since you're there in John, let's go and look at a couple other scriptures. Go to John 14 real quick. Look at verse 15. If, there's another if there, so circle that. If you love me, Keep my commandments. Now, no, this is so simple, but we miss it. Jesus said this. So who sets the standard? He does, not us. We're not the ones that decide how we're going to obey God. Jesus has already predetermined and decided for us, this is how you're going to serve us. So this is what he says about love. If you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll have a warm, fuzzy feeling. If you love me, you'll cry when there's worship going on in the church. If you love me, the flowers will look brighter and the sky will look bluer. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. No amens on that one? If you love me, here's how you love me. Here's how you love Jesus. Here's how the kingdom works, not the world system. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, what's his commandment? We just read it over there, that we love one another as he loves us. Now, notice this. This is interesting. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comfort, comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now, go down, to, uh, go down to verse 21. It says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, now notice this, and will manifest myself to him. Judah saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Now listen to this. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I and the Father are going to come and set up housekeeping on the inside of you. That's literally what that means. That's what the true translation of that means. I'm going to move in. 
I'm going to find a place of habitation, and I'm going to abide on the inside of you. Let me ask you a question. How powerful would we be as Christians if we were constantly aware of the indwelling presence of Almighty God? Where everywhere you went, you knew God was going with you. Everything you do, you knew God was doing it with Would it keep you holy? Would it keep you righteous? Would it keep you out of trouble? Would it give you confidence? Would it give you strength? Come on, church. But see, we have to know that by faith. If you love Him, you start keeping His commandments. Keeping His commandments. Well, He only gave us one. I said He only gave us one. To love one another. Now, this brings the dilemma about, because, you know, if we were separated or segregated from one another and never ran into each other or never had any interaction with one another. You say, what do you mean? Well, here at Island Church, we have all kinds of interaction. We have a staff that comes four days a week. We have praise and worship team, people that teach and preach out of the pulpit. We've got Sunday school teachers. We've got youth pastors and children's ministers. We've got people that work out in the, in the, in the visitor center. We got counselors that go into the counseling room. We got ushers and greeters and security. Uh, we've got tent ministry. Uh, we've got people that work in the sound booth. We've got people that work in the audio. We've got all kinds of people interacting and working together to bring forth the kingdom of God. God affording all of us great opportunities to walk in love. <laughs> That's where people say, I don't know if I like that or not. Amen. Well, here's the deal. Those opportunities that God is affording us to walk in love is evidence of the increased amount of faith that God has deposited in the church. Oh, you missed a good opportunity to shout and run around this church. You say, why? Because faith pleases God. Faith appropriates the kingdom. Faith brings from the unseen into the seen. Faith causes healing, salvations to be manifested. Faith brings finances into the kingdom and into your life. Faith causes all the provision of God to flow. And if God is depositing greater and greater and greater amounts of faith in the church, then he's demanding that we walk more and more and more and more in love one toward another. So he's affording us opportunities to do it. Which means you are finding reasons to be more and more irritated with those around you and those that you interact with in the church. Don't look at me at that tone of voice. Amen? That's the truth. That's, that's proof of faith being deposited in the church. If faith was not being deposited in the church, the facade of the world kind of love would be there. But as faith is continually deposited into the church, then the facade of the world kind of love gets removed and you are forced to either obey or disobey the commandment which does not have a feeling connected to it but has an action connected to it. And sometimes that ain't easy. Now with that in mind, turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13, let's look at the standard. Everybody say the standard. It's amazing that the Holy Ghost instructed the Apostle Paul in writing this to put it between two different chapters that deal with the gifts of the Spirit or the power of God. 
For we know that the gifts of the Holy Ghost operate and work by faith. And if the gifts of the Holy Ghost work and operate by faith, then we're going to have to walk in love to see any type of a manifestation of the power of God. Then Jesus himself said over in John chapter 14, he said, I'm going to manifest myself to you. Well, if he manifests himself to you, how's he going to manifest himself? What good would it do to see Jesus physically and he not produce some provision in your life? No, he's going to manifest himself through salvation. He's going to manifest himself through healing. He's going to manifest himself through deliverance. He's going to manifest himself through prosperity. He's going to manifest himself through peace in the midst of a storm. He's going to manifest himself through joy. Amen? Now, 1 Corinthians, let's look here. Now, I'm going to read, I'm going to bounce back and forth between the Amplified and the, and the King James. Well, I'm going to stick mostly with the Amplified because the, the, the King James uses the word charity, but the Amplified uses the word love. Now, notice verse 4. Now, first of all, let's read the King James in verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men of angels, have not charity or love, I am become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, everybody say all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have no love. Listen to this. I am nothing. Remember the kingdom, what you have, the kingdom of God, what you have, the world, I mean, what you, who you are, kingdom of the world, what you have. I am nothing. It says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love. Now notice this. It profiteth me nothing. So anything you're doing in the kingdom of God, that you're not doing motivated by the love of God, it profits you nothing. Whoa. Now begin verse 4. I'm going to read in the Amplified. Love, everybody say love. Love endures long. Lord, how long am I going to have to put up with this idiot in my life? A long time. Love endures. And is patient and kind. See, here's what. Well, I put up with him, but I don't have to like it. I love you, jerk. You know, what you say and then what you think. Thought I'd put them both in there. Amen. No. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Now, God, in instructing us in our behavior in love, is also revealing his nature. That means God put up with you a long time and was patient and kind towards you, and he's still putting up with us. Mm-mm-mm. Love is never envious, nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious, and it does not display itself haughtily. Now, these are literally speaking of character traits or character attitudes of people that choose to exalt themselves over other people. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. 
our church is better than your church. That's why I never got caught up in the trap of us declaring ourselves as the biggest, as the best, as the, pastor, don't you think you pastor the greatest church in the world? I don't know. Don't you think Island Church is the greatest, the biggest, the best? No, I thank God it is a church of people who is doing its best to love and serve God by faith. But there are other churches, and God loves all of them, and God, lo God loves all people. And I'm not going to exalt myself or my church above everybody else saying, I'm the biggest, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, I'm the biggest tree in the field, I have the greatest anointing, I have this, I have the preeminence, I have the dominance, I have the authority. No, that's not true, because as sure as you get to that place, God will go somewhere else and raise someone else up. Just to prove to you, you're not who you think you are. Love does not do that. We bless other churches. Just the other day, I took an offering and gave it to I saw the uh, particular uh, real small church. Doesn't have but about, but about 15 members that goes to it. It's been on the island for many years. I saw where they were having a special speaker, and the Lord just kind of touched my heart and says, well, if they're having a special speaker, they're probably going to need some extra money. So I just went to, the, to, the, uh, uh, to, to Leah and those that uh, operate the checkbook, and I said, write out a check to such and such church. Let's help them. They're having a special speaker. You say, why? I'm not going to fall into the trap of being vainglorious, lifted up, exalted in pride, thinking that I'm better than somebody else. The size of who we are and the scope of what we do does not make us better or worse than anybody else. We do it because we know to do it. Let me try that again. We do it because we know to do it. If we know to do it and don't do it, then we're in disobedience. But we, if we do it because we know to do it, then we're in obedience to God and we're loving God by doing it. It's never envious. We don't envy other, any other church. Oh, I wish we had this. But no, no. We don't boil over with jealousy. We're not boastful or vainglorious. We do not display ourselves haughtily. We stay humble. We stay meek. Amen. You say, why? That's the nature of Jesus. That's the nature of the Lord God. I've seen people get so puffed up, and it's amazing. You get a little bit of success in ministry. You get a little bit, few prayers answered, a couple of people healed, and, man, it'll go right to your head if you're not careful. It'll go right to your head. You'll think, I've arrived. I'm the anointed and appointed, the man of faith and power for the hour. Get out of my way, everybody. I'm going to rise to the top. And there's people that do that, and they step on all kinds of people on the way up. And when they get to the top, they'll find out that gifting took them there, but the character of love is not in them, so it cannot keep them there. We want to stay at every level, at every plateau in which the Lord God raises us up to, we don't ever want to go back. We want to continue forward progression, and slow growth is good growth. That means we got roots that are going deep, that are tapping into the blessing, to the love, and to the power of God, and that we're continuing to grow strong and big every year. We get a little stronger, we get a little bigger. And anybody we can help along the way, we're going to do it. Verse 5, it is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. Listen, oh, let, me, let me read the rest of it. It's not rude or unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. In your personal walk toward the world, 
You can't, you can't act better than, well, they don't know anything about God. They don't know anything about the Holy Ghost. My relatives, they're all a bunch of idiots. And here you come walking into Thanksgiving or Christmas, and you got a big old stack of Bibles. Tapes from people they've never heard of. I mean, you give out Kenneth Copeland tapes. You give out uh, uh, Jerry Savelle tapes. You give out Benny Hinn, and they don't know Benny Hinn from Mickey Mouse. And everybody gets a Bible for Christmas and a promise book. And you're trying to, quote, force your religion down their throat. Come on, church. Instead of just walking into that situation and loving them and caring for them and ministering to them and not being conceited. That's all. You know what they see? Every time you do that, all they see is a relative that comes in and talks down to them about God. Amen? And they're like, here they come again. Well, party's over for now until they leave. Amen? You can't do that. You can't do that. That's conceited. That's arrogant. That's inflated with pride. You will never win them to the Lord. Listen, by your fruits, they will know you. Let them see the gospel before you say the gospel. That is the best way to reach your, your, your relatives. Your relatives are your toughest mission field. But when they see something in you, when they see your behavioral change, when they see you walking in love, when they see you reaching a hand to serve and protect and bless and help them, when they see something in you that they've never seen before, they're going to wonder, my, what in the world has happened to them? I heard somebody giving the testimony one time of how they were all up, man, they were puffed up, bloated up, talking about how great they were in God. And then this is what they said. Every time I go home to Christmas time to my family, I take tracks and roll them up in the toilet paper. You can imagine what happened to some of those tracks. Amen. Because, you know, by the time... Cousin Bubba's had four highballs and three lone stars. He's not really in a position to hear the gospel being preached to him. He wants to know what the score of the Dallas Cowboy game is. Don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant. You say, are you telling me not to witness to my, to, my, to my family, to my relatives? I'm telling you to live it in front of them before you tell them about it. I'm telling you to love them, to care for them, to touch them. Let the acts of love be in your life. Don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant. Don't be lifted up in pride because here's reality. You do know more than they do. You have experienced more than they have. You do have greater revelation, and you want them to have the same thing because love shares everything that it has. Such as I have, freely I've received, freely Mm-mm-mm. Love, God's love in us. Does not, oh, I don't know that. I might ought to just black this out of my Bible here. This is, it's just too much here. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking, it is not touchy, fretful, or resentful. Now, let's, let, let's do this in two parts, then we'll close. We'll come back to it next week. It does not insist, insist on its own rights or its own. Now, listen, this does not mean you become a doormat. Love is not a weakness, it's a strength. But there are times in your love walk where you have to give up your right to be right. Oh, in churches like this, we get real territorial. You say, what do you mean? Well, you know, we're used to sitting 
on the front row, first two seats, second row, first seat, third row, first seat. You know, you know what I'm saying? And we're real protective of our seat, our parking place. I mean, that can ruin a service. Here you come tooling into the parking lot, and you come pulling into your parking place. Hey, Margaret, there's somebody parked in our parking place. Who is that? Do we know whose car that is? I don't know, but I can't believe they're parking in our parking place. And all of a sudden, you got an attitude. Then you come in, and the people that parked in your parking place are sitting in your seat. And you're, you walk in like this. Then you start looking for the ushers. There's, there's, there's. Remember, we took up the chair offering. I bought three chairs. One, two, three. That was for me and my child and my, and my, and my wife. And somebody is sitting in our chairs. You're just a bear. Remember the story of the three bears? Somebody's eating my porridge. Somebody's been seated in my chair. Now there's somebody sleeping in my bed. You are right. You tithe, you offer, you give. You have the right to the parking place. You have the right to third row, fourth and fifth seat. You have the right. But love walks in and sees it and says, maybe they don't even know Jesus. Maybe they saw the advertisement. Maybe they watched us on the internet. Maybe somebody told them to come here. Oh, wow. Maybe they'll get saved tonight. Maybe they'll get filled with the Holy Ghost. Maybe they'll get healed. So love says, I'll go over here. I'll change my pattern. I'll change my routine. Love changes it so that I can afford somebody else a place to be comfortable so that they might can receive from God. Amen. Then in our interaction one with another. Oh, Lord. Now, I'm an usher and I don't do that. I work in the counseling room. I don't do that. I sing in a praise team. I don't do that. Come on. Amen. No, you can't do that and walk in love. You've got to be willing to do anything to lend aid or assistance to anything that's going on here at Island Church so that you might walk in love. Amen. In the home. Oh, Lordy. Husbands and wives. We'll deal with it on Tuesday night. Not, oh, you know, when you're dating and you get married and I love you, I love you. But one day, you will find that the sparkle on the cake, all the presents have been opened, and the wrapping paper's been thrown away. And you're going to look up one morning and roll over in bed and say this, Who are you, you idiot? Amen. That's when the phileo and the eros of humanity has to step over into the agape of God's love. And when they say that to you, you look back at them and say, I'm your blessed husband and I love you so much, you gorgeous woman. <laughs> Amen. And you learn to walk in Love in the home. 
You don't tear each other up with your tongue. You don't pull your tongue out and just beat the tar out of each other, out of your children, out of the dog, out of the parrot. Amen. Because your parrot will tell off on you. <laughs> no, you can't do that. You've got to learn to walk in love. In the home, in church. Now listen, here's our problem. We've tried to love God. I love you, Lord. And look for some warm, fuzzy, I, I love the Lord. Yes, I love, I love the Lord. And then we try to love the world. For God so loved the world. Well, you ain't God, honey. God gave us another equation. Number one, we love God as we love our... Well, you got a problem if you don't like yourself. If you look in the mirror and go, blah, you got a problem in loving God. The reason is you do not see yourself the way God sees you. When you see yourself the way God sees you, you can begin to love yourself. Then you can love God and then begin to love others as you love yourself. Then we take all of that love, loving God, loving one another, loving our family, our wives, our children. Then we take all this agape, which is not a feeling but an action, and we go to the world with it. We love these kids enough to give them shoes and backpacks. We love the orphans in Kenya enough to give them money every month. We love the crusade team in, 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 in Tanzania enough to pay for a crusade. Come on, church. We love enough to what? To give action to our love to show it's not the eros or phileo. It's the agape of God that we're operating in. And it is the agape that fuels your faith. Now, what was the other? Let me, let me close with this. Oh, my time's up. Love is not, oh, Lord have mercy. We've, we've taught on this before, but, man, we need to hear it over and over and over. Touchy, everybody say touchy, touchy. fretful, or resentful. Now, you can tell where people are touchy because when you touch them, they let you know it. I'm touchy. You let somebody go through five marriages and you teach on marriage, you'll find a touchy person. You teach on finances and somebody been through 14 bankruptcies, you'll find somebody touchy in that area. Touchy, fretful, or resentful. Touchy is always in the present. You ever met a touchy person? That means you touch them, you know it. Oops, shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have done that. They're having one of their moods. They're having one of their days. They're touchy. Touchy, fretful, future, resentful, past. So the reason you're touchy is because of, of resentment. I shoulda, I woulda, I coulda, I didn't. I shoulda married Bubba instead of, instead of Billy Bob. Remember when we were teaching that West Columbia? Brother Hankins, his name's really, he said, I'm Billy Bob. I said, I shoulda married this one. But I married that one. I should have went to this school, but I went to that school. I should have bought that house, but I bought this house. I should be driving this car, but I'm driving that car. We should have had three kids instead of 33 kids. We should have done this instead of doing that. Come on, church. And so all of your life is cut off the angle of your resentment. You cannot see clearly because of the resentment in your life regretting the behavior, regretting the choices. So you come into the future, and because of all of those, quote, bad choices, you're touchy.
He talked about marriage. He's been married five times. I know a little something about marriage. <laughs> yeah, you know what not to do. <laughs> five times. No, you are touchy. Now, fretful is the future. You're locked down. You're touchy. You're afraid to ever launch out into something in the future or anticipate something in the future because you know more than likely all of the mistakes and failures of the past will be repeated in the future. So you're resentful, touchy, fretful. What a way to live life. You say, what, how does love affect that? Love goes into the past and says it's covered by the blood. I have no past but the cross. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things are new for me. All the mistakes I've made, all the behavior I was involved in, everything that I've done is gone. It's under the blood. The love of Jesus Christ covers it and eradicates it. He only sees me in Christ. God loves me because he washed me and he cleansed me and forgiven me and he knows nothing about my past. It stops at the cross. Therefore, I am not touchy in the present. You say, why? Because love comes into my present. It makes me valuable. It makes me accepted of God. And it gives me a future. Therefore, I'm not fretful. I will get married again. I will get another business and not go bankrupt. I will do this. I will do that. Because I'm not the person that made all those mistakes. Therefore, I have a future. I'm not stuck in the routine of my past and all of its mistakes because love has come in and covered it all. Therefore, I am not resentful. I am not touchy. And I'm not looking into a future and anticipating destruction and failure. Love takes care of that. It is not touchy, fretful, or resentful. You say, well, how do I apply that to my life? The way you do it is you take the Word of God. You accept the love of God. You know, as I started the meeting tonight with what I said, you must get rid of victim mentality. Because every problem of your past, you have an excuse for. Every reason that you're touchy in the present, those excuses are amplified. And every reason not to go into the future with hope and expectancy and anticipation because you're cutting everything off the angle of the heart of your past is because you are refusing to accept the love of God so that you might love yourself and love others as God has loved you. You're rejecting the greatest force in the universe. Don't reject the love of God. Don't reject His love. It heals your hurts. It eases your pain. It removes your past. It helps you in the present, and it gives you a future. If you will just accept it into your life. Amen? You love the Lord tonight? Lift your hands up and just let the love of God just flow into you tonight. Father, we thank you for every person. We thank you that you love us so much. No matter what our past is, you've given us forgiveness. You've given us the blood. You've given us all that we need. All that we need, Lord, so that we might have what you desire us to have so that we might do what you desire us to do so we might be who you desire us to be remember every opportunity you have to walk in love is an opportunity 
for you to grow in faith. To grow in the things of God. You'll never feel like it. Love is an action. Love is a challenge. But love is a force that cannot be denied in this earth. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.